series that we did, our back to school series in August. Anybody remember what that series was called? Yelled out. Watchmen. We were talking about our individual responsibilities as Christians and what we're supposed to do uh, as individuals. What, what Christ has called you as a believer, as a Christian, to do. But there's more than that. It's not just you as a Rambo, lone wolf Christian. We are a part of the body of Christ. That's what the church is. It's a body. And so we saw last week that if we're going to make an impact as a ministry, as Ignite, on our schools, on our cities, on the world ultimately, we're going to have to do it together. And so we saw last week how the body works together in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 12. We saw how the body, God likens the body of Christ to a physical body. How your body has many members, it has hands and legs and arms and internal organs, yet they all function together to be one person. And if any of those organs or members are not doing what they're supposed to do or are missing, the body does not function properly. And so what we saw is that each of us have our own special role to play in the body of Christ. And if you don't do that, you suffer, of course, because you're a you're a spleen all by yourself, you know, without a body to be inside. But the body suffers without the spleen, whatever a spleen does, right? So the body needs all the organs and the, and the legs and the arms and the eyes and the ears if it's going to function properly and effectively. And what we saw last week is we have a job to do, right? The body of Christ, we have a job to do, and that's ministry. Can anybody remember the definition of ministry? We've been saying it for the last couple of weeks. Does anybody remember how we define ministry? Just yell it out if you know it. No? Is it up there? Oh, you actually remembered it? Good job, Sarah. Sarah knows the answer. Ministry is meeting the needs of others in love. It's meeting other people's needs so that you can love them with the love of Christ so that you can then share Christ with them. So many times when people are lost and no, don't know Jesus as their Savior, we'll do outreach events, we'll do ministry activities that are designed to love people and meet their physical needs so that we can then share with them how they have spiritual needs and how Christ can meet those. And that's the point of ministry. It's why we do what we do. It's the ministry that God has left us with. The, ultimately, the Bible calls it in 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. And all that means is bringing back man to God. Reconcile means to bring two parties that are at odds back together, and because of sin, man is separated from God, right? And so the ministry of reconciliation is just the ministry of going out and telling people, being a watchman, and telling them, listen, there's judgment coming for your sin, but if you'll believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior, you don't have to go to a place that wasn't designed for you for all of eternity. You can spend eternity in heaven with Christ because he's paid for your sins. That's that ministry. And individually, we each have a responsibility to be watchmen right where we are and to share the gospel with our friends and our family and in our schools, of course, but within the church body, we're all individual members, and we can make a greater impact. We can make a greater influence on our schools and our cities and everywhere we go if we function as a body. And so last week, we saw how we do that here. We call them impact teams. So I'll just give a quick plug. If you weren't here last week, we have these little cards that describe the impact teams. And I don't think I have the slides this week, but that's okay. Um, we have four impact teams here at Ignite. We have worship, tech, 
inreach and outreach team. And that's the four ways you can get involved in this body and you can get plugged in and you can serve each other. And so the worship team serves us by leading us in worshiping God. The tech team serves us by keeping the lights on and running the slides and making videos and sound and all that stuff. And then the inreach team and the outreach team function to reach out to the community and plan events and to reach in to those who are here. So maybe you were greeted at the door tonight or someone asked you what your name was to take attendance. That's the inreach team. That's, they're doing all that. They're selling shirts and they're, they're doing announcements and all that kind of stuff. So if you're not involved, if you're not a part of the body, man, you can jump in. And the whole point of our impact day on Sunday is that we're going to just meet together as impact teams and just plan stuff. We're going to pray for the body. We're going to pray for Ignite. We're going to pray for church. And then we're going to plan the upcoming events that we've got for the fall and, and dream about new ideas and different things that we could do in the future. And so we want you guys to be more involved in that. And so that's what that'll be this Sunday. Just after church at FBC, just go grab some lunch down at Lee's or something. Come on back here by 1.30 and we'll just spend a couple hours hanging out and discussing all that kind of stuff. So if you're not on an impact team, by the way, you don't have to decide before then. You could just show up and we'll just stick you somewhere. Um, but if you grab one of these cards, they're on the back metal table where you picked up your handout. You can fill one of these out and just drop it off at the welcome counter and we'll be in touch with you. Um, this does not sign you up for anything other than saying I'm interested in helping. It, we're, we're not going to call you and say, why weren't you at impact day? Promise. What Steve might. I'm not sure. But <laughs> it's just how we can get together and work together to impact the community with a greater impact reach than we could just by ourselves. That's what the body of Christ is for, okay? So what we're gonna see tonight is how Ignite works. So if you're a guest with us tonight, this is actually a perfect night for you to be here because we're just gonna be casting some vision and showing you why Ignite exists, why we do what we do, and how we intend to do that. The Bible tells us that vision is important. In Proverbs 29, in verse 18, it says, where there is no vision... The people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The Bible says, if there's no vision, the people perish. Well, of course, if, if your body doesn't have vision, it's really hard to do what you need to do because you can't see, right? We, we saw that earlier, that a body with parts or members that don't function properly, it's hard to be effective. It's hard to work properly. Well, especially a large group of people without vision, for what they're doing. Without seeing the end goal, it is really hard to accomplish anything. We fail to accomplish anything without a vision. And the point to vision and vision casting is just making the goal clear and simple so that anyone who hears it can run with it and can go and can do it. And we see that in the book of Habakkuk. How many people, that's your favorite book in the Bible, Habakkuk, chapter two and verse two. Maybe you don't go there often, but Habakkuk is a prophet in the Old Testament. And God told him, he, the Lord answered and said, write the vision. And so Habakkuk, being an Old Testament prophet, was literally getting a vision from the Lord. But he says, write the vision, make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. Now, I'm not an Old Testament prophet, and I certainly have not received a vision from the Lord other than taking the word of God that he's clearly given us, and taking that and reading that, and then presenting a vision to you guys. And that's what we have here in Ignite. We have a vision from God's word. And so what we're going to seek to do tonight is to write the vision, make it plain, make it plain upon tables so that you guys can read it, you can know it, and you can run with it. That's the whole point of having vision. So that everyone is on the same page and we can hit the ground running. And then Ignite can make an impact 
on this community, okay? If we're going to make an impact as a group, we have to have clear vision for what we are to be doing. So the vision statement for Ignite, and those of you who have been coming for a while know this, but let me just remind you, we all need reminding every so often, that the vision for Ignite is to spark the hearts of students for God and his word. Very simple. That's kind of where we get the name Ignite. To spark the hearts of students for God and for his word. That is the goal that I have for each and every person who steps through the doors of this building. To spark their heart for God and for his word. This is why Ignite exists. And I get this from Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. Jeremiah was also an Old Testament prophet. And he was actually given vision or revelation of things that weren't so nice to say. Remember, we saw Ezekiel in our Watchman series when God told him he was a watchman. Ezekiel, what was he prophesying to the people? That judgment was coming. He didn't have very good things to tell the people, but nevertheless, it's what God told him to say. And Jeremiah also had judgment to proclaim to people. And after a while, after telling people that the city was going to be judged for its sins and the nation was going to be judged because of its evil, Jeremiah kind of got sick of saying it. He kind of got sick of saying it and all the backlash he was getting. But look at Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. It says that that Jeremiah said, he said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He's like, I'm just not, I'm not going to speak God's word anymore. I'm sick of it. It's so hard and nobody wants to hear it. It says, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire. That's where we get the ignite. And the spark, burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah said, listen, God's word, I didn't even want to say it anymore, but it was like a fire in my bones, and I tried, I was weary of trying to not talk, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep myself from speaking God's word. I just kept puking God's word out. It just kept coming out. I couldn't keep my mouth shut, and that's really my goal. For all of you guys. Listen, this world, it's a religious world. It doesn't matter what country you go to. You'll find different religions here and there. But listen, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ and having a love for God and a love for his word. And so if you can get to this point like Jeremiah that you sincerely love God's word, man, you're gonna be different. Because there's not that many people like that in the world today. It's just not the norm. It's not cool. It's not politically correct to love God's word. And so if you can have your heart sparked for God and for his word, you can be someone who changes the world. Whether as a student or as an adult someday, you can be someone who actually makes an impact for God on this world. And so since that is the vision for Ignite, I just want to give you an example from the scriptures of someone who had a, not so good past. Maybe you're in here today and you think, I don't know that God could ever use me for anything. I I haven't really been a good person my whole life. Well, I want to show you guys a person who had a pretty checkered past and God got a hold of him and sparked his heart for him and for his word. And he made an impact on the entire world, even to this day. So what we're going to see tonight is the story. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you have them to Acts chapter nine, if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. So that's okay. But Acts chapter 9 is the story of the conversion of a guy named Saul. Who's ever heard of Saul? You know who that is, Saul? Who does he become later? Paul. Saul 
later known as Paul, was used by God in a major way. He was used to start multiple churches. He led many people to Christ. He goes on missionary, journey, missionary journeys, and he writes over half the New Testament and much, much more. Paul was an amazing guy, but before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul sucked, if I'm just being honest with you. Saul was not a good dude. So let's look, number one, at Saul's background. Saul's background. Now we're going to skip around the book of Acts in a few places to see Saul's story. But we'll keep coming back to Acts 9. So just keep your finger there if you're there in your Bible. Verses 1 and 2, we start to see some of Saul's background. It says that Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, slaughter, that's a word you use all the time, right? Slaughter, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, what, what way? The disciples of the Lord. So Christians. Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever seen Paul before he was Paul, when he was Saul? He went to the high priest and asked for letters of authority that if he went and found anyone who was a disciple of Christ, that he could bring them bound back to Jerusalem, man or woman. I mean, he was a straight-up terrorist. That's what he was. If you didn't believe what he believed, he wanted to bind you up and drag you to jail. That's how he was. He beat and killed people. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, it says that Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committed them to prison. Hail means to drag. He would drag men and women who are Christians to prison. Acts 22, 4, from, from Saul's own mouth, he's giving his testimony. This is after he's saved. He says, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Paul's telling his story a few times in the book of Acts after he's saved. And he says, listen, before I knew Christ, I used to beat and kill people who believed in Jesus. Man, it sounds like he was just a thug, right? Sounds like he was just some back alley guy that people hired to do, to do their dirty work. But no, the same chapter in verse 3, we find out a little bit more about him. It says, he says, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a very prominent uh, rabbi, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye are all this day. Saul was a Jew who believed in God and would have said that he was zealous for God. What we see in Philippians 3 is that he was actually a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was one of the very religious leaders of the nation of Israel back in that day. In Philippians 3, Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, by the way, this would be after his conversion, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. blameless. Paul was an incredibly religious man. He was a, a leader of the Pharisees. And to be a Pharisee, I mean, you could study this out. We don't have time tonight. But a Pharisee would have had most of, if not all, of the first five books of the Bible memorized. The exciting ones, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. I mean, these guys were crazy. They, they were the extreme religious 
leaders. Now, they weren't very spiritual, though, <laughs> because Saul was one of the leaders of the Pharisees, and he was killing people who believed in Jesus. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're saved. Saul believed in God. He was zealous in following God, but he didn't know Jesus Christ. That was his background. I want to ask you tonight, what's your story? I know a lot of you in here are saved and would say that you know Christ is your Savior. What was your story? What's your background like Saul's? Did you get saved really young and didn't really get into a whole lot? That's okay. You must have known that you were still a sinner and needed Christ to save you. Maybe you got saved in high school and you did get into some stuff that you're not so proud of. Maybe you're one of those people who thinks God can't use you because of some of the stuff you've done. Maybe you're in here today and you aren't saved and you don't know Christ is your Savior and you're living in some of that not so good stuff right now. Well, everyone has a story and God can use anybody. But you have to come in contact with Christ first. Believing in God isn't enough. You need to know this Jesus guy. So number two, Saul meets Jesus. So we go back to Acts chapter 9, and we'll see how Saul comes in contact with Jesus. He's not saved yet, but he's going to meet this Jesus guy. And he has a good response. In verse 3, as he journeyed, and by the way, this is him journeying with those letters on his way to Damascus, saying, if I find anyone who's a Christian, I'm going to bind them up and bring them back to Jerusalem, throw them in prison. As he journeyed on that journey, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So as he was on this mission of his own agenda to do evil, he meets God. God shines a light around him from heaven. Christ is already, he, he died and rose again at the end of the Gospels. In Acts chapter 1, he goes back up to be with the Father. So Christ isn't on the earth at this point. But Jesus, out of heaven, shines a light to him. And how does he respond initially? He falls. He's humbled. That's your blank. He's humbled. He fell to the earth. He was literally, maybe physically forced by the bright light around him. But regardless, he was literally bowed to the earth into the light of God. Before the light of God. When brought into his light, our sins are revealed, guys. And we're all humbled. That's the first step of salvation. If you're saved in here today and know Christ as your Savior, there came a point where God's light, His righteousness shone on you and it revealed the sin in your life and you realized, oh, I'm not such a good person. There's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. I, I need Him. Well, God's light shone on Paul in much the same way, but in a physical sense. And it humbled him. It brought him physically, literally, to the earth. And next, what, what's his next um, response? Well, in verse 5 it says that Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. We'll explain what that means in a second. But notice his next response. He says, Who art thou, Lord? Capital L. Well, that's submissive. He was coming into submission. He didn't just say, What's going on? No, he fell to the earth and he said, Who art thou, Lord? Capital L. He knew who this was. He had an idea and he was submitting to the lordship. Lord means someone who is over me. So he's submitting. That's your blank. Submissive. He was humbled and then he was submissive. And you know he's sincere because he uses that word Lord. He has an idea of who he's talking to. Even if he doesn't know that it's Jesus, he knows that it's God. 
because he says, who art thou, Lord? That's his response. And if you're gonna get saved, you have to be humbled and then you have to respond in submission to God. That's the correct response. And God answers after he says, who art thou, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, (laughs) the one that you are persecuting by dragging my followers to jail and beating and killing people. He says, stop that. (laughs) Stop doing that. I'm Jesus, and you're persecuting me. He says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's just an old uh, phrase, and all that means, a prick would be like a a cattle prod, right? And he says, it's hard for you to kick against that. It'd be like a cow that's kicking against the farmer who's trying to prod uh, the, the cow, the cattle to go somewhere. That's what Saul's doing. God is trying to prod or to goad Saul into understanding what he's doing is wrong. And as Saul is on his way to kill people, God finally says, that's enough. And he shines his light and just knocks him on his butt. <laughs> you know, some people submit pretty easily when God's word shows them that they're a sinner and they're like, wow, you're right. I need to, some people, God has to knock them off of their horse right on their butt. He says, man, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, isn't it? He's like, I've been prodding you and prodding you, trying to show you what you're doing is wrong. Anyone ever been there? Maybe you're there right now, and God has been prodding you for a long time, for years maybe, saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you're just kicking against it, kicking against it, like, I'm going to do my own thing? Man. Well, God knocked Saul off of his horse and showed him himself, and Saul responded correctly. He responded submissively. He responded in humility. And next he surrendered. He surrendered. Look at verse 6. It says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Man, that is a surrendered response. He could have been mad. He could have been angry. He could have said, You're not God. He could have said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, good for you as you're sitting there blind, knocked off your horse, listening to an audible voice out of the sky. Right? This is where he's meeting Jesus, and he responds in the correct manner. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He abandoned, notice, he abandoned his own mission. What was his mission? To go to Damascus, look for disciples of Christ, take them to prison. He abandoned that mission and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He abandoned his own agenda for whatever God. This is the progression of someone who's responding to the gospel to get saved. Because what happens is you abandon your own mission. You abandon your own agenda and you say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What do I need to do? And God responds with the gospel. That's how you meet Jesus. If you never truly understood who Jesus was, if you never understood the gospel before tonight, you know what Christ is telling you? He's telling you what you need to do It depends on what your response to that is. Will you humble yourself? Will you submit to whatever he says? And will you surrender to whatever God will tell you to do? Are you going to keep down your own path on your own mission with your own agenda? That's the difference. So let me ask you, if you're saved today, what's your testimony? How did you meet Jesus? What were you doing? What what mission, what agenda were you on walking down the Damascus Road when God revealed himself to you and you understood it? How did you meet Christ? If you're saved today, you should have that story. Have you been humbled and submitted and surrendered to him? Look at verse seven. We'll keep reading in the story. It says, and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless because they heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone. Look, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. So they were astonished. 
And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Paul couldn't see anymore. God blinded him temporarily. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Notice when God gave him instruction and said, if you go into this city, I'll tell you what to do. Paul could have disregarded that. He didn't have to obey. He didn't have to say, okay, I'll do that. He could have said, no, nah, I'm good. He met Jesus and he obeyed him. And so what we're going to see, number three, is that Saul is sparked. We're going to see Paul get saved and get sparked for God. Skip down to verse 17. I'll give you the, the rundown of what happens in between uh, verse 9 and verse 17. Basically, there's this brother named Ananias that God gives a vision to and says, hey, listen, there's this guy named Saul who's going to come to your house. I told him to come here, and what I want you to do is put your hands on him, and then I'm going to give him the Holy Spirit through you. Now, that's not how we get saved nowadays, but Acts was a crazy time. If you want to learn more about that, we're learning about that at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings at church. But this is how God was going to give the Holy Spirit to Saul. This is how he was going to get saved. And so Ananias, he says, wait, wait, is that the Saul, is that the same guy who kills Christians? God's like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. I got plans for him. And he's like, okay. So he's a little worried, but he obeys anyway. And look at verse 17. It says, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway, straightway means immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Man, 18 verses ago, he was killing Christians. 18 verses. He's preaching that Christ is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Man, Paul, notice what the Bible says. It says when he received the Holy Spirit because he obeyed what God told him to do, it says immediately there was like scales fell from his eyes and he could see. Listen, when the blind gain their sight in the Bible, that's a picture of salvation. Because before you're saved, like the old hymn says, I was blind, but now I see. Before you're saved, you have spiritual blinders on that Satan wants to keep you from seeing the truth of God's word. But when God shines his light into your heart and reveals that wickedness to you and shows you that you need him to save you, you have the ability and you have the free will choice whether you're going to obey what God tells you to do, like Saul, or not. Or do whatever you want to do and keep on with your agenda. You have that free will choice. And when Paul obeyed what God told him to do, he received the Holy Spirit and the scales fell from his eyes. Listen, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and I'm not talking about believing in God. We saw that Saul believed in God, but he wasn't saved. Believing in God won't save you. The book of James in chapter 2 says that the devil believes in God and he trembles. The devil ain't going to heaven. But you better believe he believes in God. Believing in God is not enough. The Bible says that you have to repent on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. The book of Romans chapter 10 says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what God tells you to do. To Paul, or to Saul rather, God said, was that me? I don't know, that was weird. God says to Saul, 
when he says, what wilt thou have me do? He says, go into that city and I'll tell you what to do. And then he does it, he obeys, and he gets saved. You know what God's telling you to do if you're not saved today? He's saying, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And if you obey that, I'm telling you guys, the scales will fall from your eyes and you'll be able to see for the first time, just like Saul. Within a short time frame, Saul went from persecuting Christians to preaching the gospel. That's proof of a changed life. Saul's heart was sparked by God. Not only did he stop persecuting Christians, he went to preaching that Christ is the Son of God and evangelizing and sharing the gospel with with everyone he met. And the people were so astonished by his changed life that they said, is this not the guy who was killing people and taking people to prison who believed what he's preaching? That's how powerful a testimony is. That's how powerful the story of a changed life is. And I'm here to tell you, if you think that God can't use you because of whatever you've done, or God can't use you because of whatever you're doing, I'm telling you that if you'll stop your own mission and submit to what God is telling you to do, he can use that very story that you think keeps him from using you. And he can use it to make an impact that you would never believe. What's your story? Eventually, that story has to make a turn for following Christ. Will you submit and surrender it to God? Saul's heart was sparked by God. He opened his eyes and now he could see. And he became so passionate for God and his word that he couldn't hold it in. And that's my goal for you. That's our vision here at Ignite, that you guys would be sparked that same way. Maybe, maybe you've been saved for a while. Maybe you got saved when you were six, seven years old because you were raised in a good church. Maybe you were raised in our church and you understood the gospel when you were a little kid. But some, for some reason, the world or high school or middle school or whatever has just blown out your flame. Maybe you never had that flame. But let me ask you this. This last question for you is where's my fire? Where's my fire? If you're not saved today, man, the answer is you just need to get saved and God will give you that spark. But if you are saved and you haven't lived passionately for God in a long time, what put out your fire? What blew it out? Was it high school telling you that following God's not cool? Because I, I know high school is very similar to when I was in high school. It's been 10 years or so, but <laughs> it wasn't cool back then either. Has high school put out your fire? Has, has family put out your fire? Has just time? Maybe you got saved when you are 7 or 8 years old and now you're 16 and you just say, ah, Whatever. Listen, God wants you to be sparked. He wants you to be zealous for his word because he's got a job for you and he's got a job for us as the body. And the body can't get the work done with a bunch of people, a bunch of zombies who just walk around like Christians who are are dead again. They just walk around, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever. God God can't use that. He wants people who are sparked, who are zealous, who are on fire for him. Because listen, if you're sparked for God, and you're sparked for God, and you're sparked for God, when we come into this room together, we make a giant flame. And we can make an impact across this world, across this city, across our schools. We did this last week. There's at least six or eight different school districts represented just in this room. We could reach hundreds, if not thousands of people, if we work together as a body. And we do this thing the way God designed it. But you have to decide if you're in. You have to decide that you want to be sparked for God in his word. You have to decide. 
that. I can't make you. God can't make you. You have to decide for yourself. And if you're not saved, you've got to decide if you want in on this thing or not. If not, that's fine. It's your free will choice. But I'm telling you, the only reason that Christ sent his son to be butchered and slaughtered on a cross and to die is for you. And for you to say no thanks is, man, that just blows me away that somebody would say no thanks to that. This is the vision for Ignite, guys. And we're, we're, we're going to see this a little bit more next week in, in our mission. And we, we've talked about it before, the love, learn, and lead. That's the path that we have. It's the mission that we have here at Ignite. And the mission is how we fulfill the vision of sparking the hearts for students of students for God and his word. But the vision, that sentence, is just that we want to see you guys fall in love with God and fall in love with his word. Because if you can do that in high school, you'll be adults that love God and love wo- his word. And you'll have kids that you raise to love God and love his word. And that's how we spread the gospel. That's how we disciple. That's how we win the world for Christ. And so that's our vision for this youth group and for this body. And so now that we've made it plain upon tables, and next week we'll make it even more simple, give you practical things on how to do that. Hopefully we can hit the ground running together this school year and really do this thing for the Lord. But it takes you. We need you. The body can't only be an eye. The body can't only be a couple of feet. It needs all the members. And so I hope that you will consider getting plugged in. And so if, if you grab one of these impact cards on your way out and think about how you'd like to be involved, if you want to be, you don't have to. It's your choice. Um, and man, just come back on Sunday after church at 1.30 in this building. And we'll have impact day. It'll be a great time. We'll dream about what we can do in our teams. We'll, we'll pray. We'll plan events. We'll uh, in-reach and outreach team. We'll get ready for the girls' sleepover and the, and the manly man camp out and think about things we can do. It, it's going to be a blast. So pray about how you can be a part of the body. And just jump in. Just step out there. Let your guard down a little bit. And be a part of this family that we've got here at Ignite. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all that you do. You're such a good God. You're such a loving God. And even though we don't deserve your love, much like Saul, when he was, on his, <laughs> he was on his way, he was on his own mission to find people who believed in you and to kill him, you stopped him in his tracks and said, man, if you'll just obey me, I can use you. Paul didn't deserve it. Saul didn't deserve that. He was an evil, wicked man who killed people. But you took him and grabbed him and turned his life around and used him to impact the world even to this day for you. And God, if we'll just let you use us, it doesn't matter what our story is. If you'll just let you use us and be a part of the body and and, and submit to whatever your will is for our lives, God, you can use us to make an impact, not just here, but around the world. And Father, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray they wouldn't leave here tonight without talking to somebody, a counselor, a friend that brought them, somebody, and get more information on what it means to have a relationship with you. It's not just enough to believe in God. They, they have to know who Christ is, and they have to give their life to you. So, Father, I pray that they wouldn't leave here tonight without finding out more about the most important decision that they could ever make in their life. I love you. I pray that you would be praised and glorified during this last song. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.